as everybody knows, the last dance wrapped up this weekend, and I couldn't help myself but think there's a big connection here between Michael Jordan and the Henry Viscardi School. While we probably would have wanted MJ at this school at some point during the 90s, while they were winning, so too were the HVS Cougars and Cubbies, and the man who engineered it all, Joe Salonica, is with me now. And Joe, I know you didn't really watch the documentary, but I've got to ask you about that era, because it was quite an era for both the Bulls and HVS. Yeah, I mean, the 90s, you know, the Bulls, um, I went to a lot of Knicks games, you know, back then, you know, with the Bulls, and, you know, MJ was was a great player, and, you know, the Bulls had a, a dynasty. They had the team. You know, they were the team to beat. Um, yeah, it was incredible. As a sports fan, it was something great to see. But as we're watching that, you also saw our program develop and win as well. Yeah, well, I, I kind of, you know, emulated what – you know, Phil Jackson and the, the Bulls had a little bit, you know. You know, you, you kind of, you know, as a coach, you know, I'm a wheelchair basketball coach. Mm-hmm. As a coach, you you want to pick and choose who you want to be like. Mm-hmm. And Phil Jackson is, you know, why not want to be like him? So you kind of build a program the, the way he did. You know, you have your, your point guard, you got your, you know, your rebounder, your defender, you know. Well, Joe, you've, you've, you totally did my job here. I should have introduced you. You are the HBS wheelchair basketball coach, and I've known you for, what, 25 years now. And so in that time, I've seen the program grow. I was on it for a few years, and I just it struck me the parallels. And while we didn't really get uh, national recognition like Jordan, we definitely had our own style going. Yes, absolutely. You know, in the world of wheelchair basketball and adapted wheelchair basketball, you know, we were it. You know, and, you know, we continue, you know, that, that, that prowess today. Um, you know, people want to be like us, which is a great feeling. A great deal, yeah. A great compliment to our program. And you were just talking me off the air. We might be in lockdown, but the program still is going, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, in today's world, you know, right now, everybody's Zooming, mm-hmm. right? So we, we have the opportunity to Zoom with our kids at school, whether it's, you know, about math or basketball. Um, you know, I have a great opportunity to, you know, meet with my kids on the day that they're supposed to have basketball practice. So like and Tuesday, Thursday in. nights? Correct. Whether it's a Monday night for JV, Tuesdays okay. for varsity, and Thursday for the little guys. You know, it's, it's a great way to check in and see how everybody's doing. You know, um, I think that's very important mm-hmm. to want to check in with everybody and just say hi, you know, um, thinking about you. How's it going? Um, you know, because nobody's done this before. This is new to everybody. Joe, so, have you seen this community come together during this time more so than maybe other times? Yes. Um, you know, there's a lot of great support. You know, uh, people want to do for other people, whether it's, you know, getting a computer to a kid or getting a basketball to a kid, definitely uh, some food and things like that. People are definitely stepping up. And that is huge. And, of course, we've seen crisis before. I mean, 9-11, I just remember everybody was stuck there at at Viscardi during that day. That was pretty terrible. 
Yeah, that was a bad day. And that were you stuck day. over with them during that day, or did you? What was your role that day? Um. Well, I was. Uh, what was I doing? I was hanging out. I mean, I didn't stay overnight. Um, you know, a lot of the medical staff and things like that. Um, you know, I, I lived locally at that time. So, you know, they, they got a lot of the, uh, people out of there, you know, at a certain time. And, um, I stayed pretty late. Um, I remember stories of people having to sleep over there and everything like that too. Say again, I'm sorry. I remember stories of people having to sleep over there after yeah, 9-11 yeah, that night. Medical into, you know, some sleeping quarters, you know, in the gym. Um, yeah, you know, and then we had to get some kids to the hospital, you know, uh, because of, you know, specific medical issues that, you know, you know they have. Right. Joe, you know, we're, we're sort of talking locally, but for those maybe on other outlets that may not have heard of us before, Tell us what HBS is and, and the basketball program. Give us a little more in-depth about the Henry Viscardi School and why uh, I felt compelled to talk about this today. Okay. All right. Yeah. So the Henry Viscardi School was built in 1962 by a man named Dr. Henry Viscardi, Jr. He was a man that was born without legs, and he was a man that wasn't really treated very nicely as a kid, wasn't uh, educated uh, very well. So he had this goal, this idea to uh, build a school where a kid can go to and have a good, safe, quality education. Uh, we are a regional school, so our kids come from Nassau, Suffolk, the five boroughs, or Westchester. You are a student at our school uh, because, for whatever reason, your home, to, uh, home district can't or won't meet your needs. It could be as simple as I'm in a wheelchair and the school I'm supposed to go to doesn't have a ramp or an elevator, so I can't access the building. It could be that I have a disability and I learn differently, mm -hmm. right? And my home district doesn't have the ways and means like we do at Viscardi, the technology and things like that. Or it could be quite simply you know, my disability is such that I need medical attention during the day. And a simple nurse's station where you get a Band-Aid and an aspirin is not sufficient. Not at all. And, uh, and Joe, you, you, though, take the mind off that for the kids. And you've had this program. It was your creation, wheelchair basketball, right? Right. So I, I was born with spina bifida. I'm in a wheelchair. Uh, so I know what, what sports did for me. Mm. You know, I found sports when I was 18 years old, a little bit okay. later in I found wheelchair basketball. I went to Stony Brook University. I found, I, I met my first friend with a disability. And she, quite simply, she said, you know what? You're in a wheelchair. So what? Suck it up. Let's go play some basketball. Mm -hmm. Put a basketball in my hand and it took off. I met a lot of great people, guys and girls. I got to travel a lot uh, uh, across the country to play wheelchair basketball. And when I started at Viscardi, um, there was a need. You know, the parents were, uh, my kid comes to the school and goes home and watches TV. You know, but my other kids, the neighbors, the cousins, they're playing sports. They're doing this. They're doing that. So I had simply said, hey, you know what? I just started playing this game, wheelchair basketball, about two or three years earlier. Let's see if we can figure something out. So with some PTs and some OTs at school and some friends at the National Wheelchair Basketball Association, 
right? Figured it out. And we developed a game where our kids, who are in manual chairs, power chairs, braces, walkers, crutches, you know, everything, can play together. You know, and that was the idea. That was the important thing, that everybody had an equal, fair shot to play. So we developed a game where you have a two-foot basket, a four-foot basket, and an eight-foot basket. And depending on the kid's ability, they shot at that one basket. But everything else, basketball was the same. You know, it's five on the side. The, you know, the chair is part of the body, so chair-to-chair contact is considered a foul. If you're able to, you dribble. Um, passing is the same, whether it's a chest pass or a bounce pass. Um, defense, we, don't, we instill the two-and-two zone defense and emotion right. offense. Joe, uh, people that have kids with disabilities that might be hearing this for the first time, what's your encouragement to them to not only do Viscardi, but in general, get their kid out and about? What's your encouragement to them today? Okay, as, as a kid, if you're a kid looking, you know, for a niche in life, right? Mm-hmm. Basketball, specifically wheelchair athletics, is a great way to find yourself, you know, um, you know, you're, you're active, you're meeting people, you're going places. Um, that's all important stuff, especially for a person with a disability, instead of, you know, just kind of hanging inside, watching TV all day. It's important to be active and whatever you can do, you need to do. Yes. Um, and it, whatever kind of function you have, you need to keep that, right? And athletics, whether it's playing basketball or just cruising around the neighborhood Mm -hmm. in your wheelchair, that's important, you know, because your body, you need, your body needs exercise. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to stay in shape and stay fit. And those of us that have disabilities need to do that even more because we are behind the eight ball physically and medically, you know. So some things don't work for us. So we need to take advantage of the things that do work. As for Viscardi, um, as a school, it's a great place. It's fantastic. I mean, you know, you, you get a great quality education. We are Regents accredited. Um, Dr. V had the idea that not only will you have an education, but you'll have the opportunity to have therapies there, right. whether it's physical therapy, occupational therapy, things like that we at Viscardi wanted to, and he wanted to make it as real a school as we can, you know? So anything that the quote unquote able-bodied world does in school, we do, whether it's playing basketball, going to prom, senior class trips, student council. um, I was going to say, how, how much the sports, because remember, in the 90s, Jordan had this big world open up because he was doing basketball. He went overseas and did all that. But sports for you and even the kids at HVS, they get doors open when they join the sports programs, don't they? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because wheelchair athletics is not very well known. And if you're good at it, right, and in today's world especially, you know, I like the idea that, you know, the, the, the corporate world, the media – is looking at a person with a disability and not feeling sorry for them, but encouraging them and congratulating them mm-hmm. because whatever 
obstacles they face, they're overcoming by doing something athletically. Joe, did, are you saying then there's an actually an uptick in hirings uh, for people with disabilities in today's world? There, yes, there are. I do see a lot more opportunities Good. for people with disabilities in, in the corporate world. Um, I do see a lot of opportunities, you know, in the, the media world where, you know, back in the day, they would put an able-bodied actor in a wheelchair and let them portray somebody as a disability. In today's world, yep. you know, they're using the real thing. And look at Ali Stroker. She was, she's actually going to be with us in October. But look at her. She just won an, uh, a Tony Award. It's amazing. There you go. There you go. Case in point, Ali Stroker. That's phenomenal. You know, that she was... was supposed to be at our um, Reach for a Star this past April. Well, I was told she's going to actually be there in October, which will be pretty cool. Yes, yeah, yeah. We rescheduled that for October. Joe, I really can't get past this point, but, you know, my dad actually talked about another star of the 90s, Patrick Ewing, and now Patrick was going through contract negotiations with the Knicks. He was fairly unhappy with them, yet my dad gained a different perspective when he saw one Scotty Bubba Pollock. And Joe, we had a special kid dribble the ball, play basketball with no arms and two legs. Yeah. Scotty Pollock. I mean, let's just call it what it is. He had that rise like Jordan did in the wheelchair basketball world. And to watch them in parallel must have been pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Scotty was Scotty was something special. You know, he he really blossomed when he came to school and was introduced to wheelchair basketball. That is. That's what it happened for me. You know, just it's a simple game, basketball. Mm -hmm. But it can do, it can open up an entire world, right? And here's a kid, like you said, he was born without any arms, right? He dribbled, he was in a power chair, right? He drove his power chair with one foot and he dribbled with the other. Mm -hmm. We had specific plays with him where, you know, we had, we created a wheelchair basketball alley-oop. It's amazing. Right? You know, the first of its kind, and it worked every time, all right, because the defense was on him trying to get the ball. He would just flip it up to one of his teammates, shoot at the four-foot hoop. It was phenomenal. And even his shot, you know, he'd sit at the top of the key, and nobody can beat him. He also pushed his players to play hard like you do, right? I mean, he pushed his guys to work with him on the court. Yeah, I mean, he was he was the ultimate captain. You know, he he will forever be the ultimate mm -hmm. captain. You know, he he when he was on the court, he was the general. Everybody listened to him. You know, I I know when we were playing ball, all right. All I had to do was just watch Scotty. Right. Do what Scotty says. Right. He's and that was right. And he. we were dealing with people that would jump out of their wheelchair uh, basketball chairs to try and make a hoop, but he was not like that. He played by the rules, and that was also Absolutely. powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, he played this game pure, just like Michael Jordan. Absolutely. He played this game pure. He didn't want to taint it. He didn't want to take advantage of it. He knew what basketball gave him, 
and he wanted to give back to basketball. I know we got to. And I know we do the Scotty Pollock, you know, award every sports right, tournament, and I'll you, talk to you a bit. just go to pieces, and and, and there's no you know, question why, right? I mean, there's no question why that happens. There's no question. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I mean, it's the poor kid. He passed away. What? Like 13 years ago now, I think. 15 years ago. Yeah, 15 years ago, right? 15 years ago, he passed away. This December. And like you said, we give the award every year, and it it tears me up. And wonder, like, what do you look for? No one can be Scotty, but how does that measure? Nobody can be, right. Nobody can be Scotty. You can't replace a Scotty, but you can have the traits and the qualities, right? And, and that's what we look for. Somebody that is a team player. Somebody that is, you know, mm-hmm. is a captain. Is somebody that, you know, not, it's not even just on the court, but off the court. Scotty was all over the yeah. place. He had a lot of friends. He was involved in everything. He did everything. So he was a well-rounded person, right? He was a well-rounded player. Um, so that's what we look for. You know, yep. in, in giving the award. That reminds me of my next point. You know, I don't, I think you were at that hockey game, but Dean hit the puck, the wiffle ball, and it hit Scotty in the nose. He started bleeding, and he kept playing on. I was like, this is the guy that Scotty Pollock is. Yeah, he can hit I, anywhere and keep playing. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I remember on the basketball court, he got hit in the face with a basketball, right? His teeth started bleeding. But yet, you know what? He kept playing. Yes, he the did. Day you know, the weekend that he passed away, we had a tournament. He came to me and said, you know what, Coach, I have a headache. I said, okay, what do you want to do? He goes, I want to play. I was like, okay, great. You know? so Joe, did he look to you like Jordan looked to Jackson? Like, did he still look for you at that mentorship level? Yes, absolutely. We had a great relationship, uh, great friends. Um, you know, he, he wanted to be m- more. He wanted to. You know, that next step. He was never happy with where he was at. He wanted to see how far he could push that envelope. Mm-hmm. It was uh, quite a remarkable run and, and story with him. Yeah. He, but, was, he, he was one of the first kids to ever take the baskets that we have, the two and the four foot basket, okay. and have his family make it at home so he could practice at home. Because one day a week practice and playing on the weekends wasn't good enough for him. He wanted to play all the time. I know, and then there's some video of that, which I'll play at the end of this interview because it was just so moving. you got to see how this kid did it. It was amazing. It was amazing. Absolutely. He was doing everything, including sports, and you and I both see it today. Sports athletes are encouraged to only do one thing now. They're only encouraged to do one sport. But at Biscardi, we're still saying, no, play every sport you can, which is pretty powerful and pretty empowering. Yes, absolutely. I mean, as a kid, you know, as a, you know, whether you're at Viscardi or a student, um, I think it's important to broaden your horizons, right? Don't just pick one sport. You know, we in the wheelchair um, athletic field, you know what? We're never going to go pro, right? right? We're never going to get paid for what we do. We do it for the love of the game, right? For the competition. So there is no reason why you can't play more than one sport. I do it all the time. I'm playing something every 
for the He's even skydiving, everybody. He's even skydiving. Right. And don't forget to scuba dive. I'm and scuba, scuba. Yep. scuba So, yeah. yeah. Doing a lot. And, uh, you know, actually with wheelchair basketball, there is a competition because some of these colleges are doing, as you mentioned, college basketball, a wheelchair basketball too. Yes. Now, the NWBA has been great, and they recognize now that a kid growing up with a disability deserves that opportunity yeah. at quality competition. So a lot of colleges are setting them themselves with NCAA scholarships to play wheelchair basketball. I think there's like maybe 20 teams or 20 schools across the country, including now coming up, Cooney. Real well because there's Did actually a partnership. That? Yeah, that I've heard about this that they're going to start doing that. So yep, Cooney uh, City University in New York in 2020, 2021 will be part of the NWBA Collegiate Division. That's a, that's which awesome. Is fantastic. For now, did you work on that project? Say again. Did you work on that project with? Cooney? No, I did not. You did not. Okay, I did not. Because I know a few of those guys that brought me on as the announcer back then they're in CUNY now so this is going to be great to see that unfold fantastic I know I know one of our um uh former Viscardiites Bernil she's involved oh very cool Uh, on the campus over there at Queens if I'm not mistaken so she's involved too yes and it's great because all our kids and we should mention this are city kids as well so it gives them an opportunity if they can't find anything on the island hey you still have a city outlet now right right you know and and actually, another one of our students, Destiny, um, she's in Hostos College. I think that's in Manhattan. Yeah, in Manhattan. Um, so she was also on a Cuomo ad. Did you see that? She was yes, on a Cuomo yes, ad. So. Yes, yes. Pretty yes. cool. Yeah, so that is fantastic that the NWBA and Cooney have you know reached a, a partnership. That's fantastic. Well, you know, we're going to pick up this conversation tomorrow morning. <clears throat> and... Uh, Sorry about the lag there, but I'm gonna patch something. I'll pull up, post up the full interview with Joe uh, in just a bit. But right now, I'm gonna take a quick break and send it to Mike Myers for his weekly, or uh, weekly, daily check-in. We'll be right back. Okay. And, um, that's where I went from K through 12. 
Oh, wow. And I just remember those years alongside the Bulls years, we were doing pretty damn good in basketball, wheelchair basketball, while Jordan was soaring high. So I felt there was a parallel there. Jordan meaning? Michael. Anyway. Okay. You see, you you got to fill some of those people in because we're not we're not up on some of this. I thought maybe uh, you meant. No, I know who you meant. <laughs> hey, Michael, though, it's an important conversation you're about to have, though, because we're seeing things rise in the household. We're seeing issues pop up in the lockdown, and, and we've got to stop that trend quickly. And and where that gets to be difficult is when you're in lockdown. Mm. This whole thing is just like a it's it's a self-fulfilling, I don't know. So that's why I'm not going to, I just won't live in fear. I saw somebody yesterday, very near and dear to me, who as soon as they saw me, they, they uh, started getting all choked up and just said they needed a hug. I mean, you know, there's a lot of lonely people out there. I've got a story here about a pastor who uh, recently committed suicide. Oh, my gosh. One of the hardest things for many pastors is 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 aloneliness. I mean, you can be around a lot of people. I remember a long time ago when I was in that mode, I could, I'd go to the mall to try to be around people thinking that would pick me up, but that can be one of the most lonely places there can be is a crowd because everybody's got their thing going on and you're there just disconnected and it, it hurts. That is so true. And, I mean, the pastoral community I also know, Michael, is um, is hurting because they can't go to these people that are suffering. That's another issue now. And, and vice versa. So yesterday I was out there doing some uh, barbecue chicken. And a guy walked by my house, who I met at Wilson's Tap, wow, I don't know, two, three years ago. And I recognized him and said, hey, man, how's it going? Uh, in fact, the first time I saw him, he was in the passenger side of this gal's pickup, just drunk as a skunk, couldn't move. We got to know each other, and then getting to see him walk by the house, it was, and I came in, and my wife said, what's wrong? And I was all choked up. I said, I just am missing people. It's driving me nuts. Michael, before we go any further, I'm starting to realize these are, you know, people that may have known about us, this connection for the first time. Tell people about your story a little bit and tell people why you do Radio Hope at 9 a.m. Eastern. Uh, it's, uh, it's therapeutic. That's one of the reasons why. I love music. I love the truth with a capital T. I'm reading a book right now by Miles McKee called Amazing Grace. It's strange why more people don't come to that place of saving faith and uh it's i don't know i just find it fascinating and i think it's just important to get them a, hey get this and just this morning i was asked to be on a uh radio stream from california very cool that's exciting yeah, meaning your show's gonna be syndicated in california yeah very possibly uh and you do this you've been doing this for 20 years by the way which i think people really need to know that you are just, you know, a new jacket. This You've been this, this for 20 years. And then the uh, the actual, you know, getting to be a part of a, a couple of terrestrial radio stations, that was a dream come true. Um, yours too. You love doing what you're doing. And so, no, I really do. But I'm realizing that I have to reintroduce the scene almost every day. Maybe that's a little manic of me, but I feel like we're getting new people on these, on your show, on my show, and it's time to we really started talking about our stories as we talk about the day, day's events. So, 
Now, what did you call, what was that term? Re- reintroduce, um, you know, the story, this, oh, reset the scene, I guess I said. So that type of thing. Like reset the I scene. like that. That's a great, you know, that's a, that's a wonderful, uh, that's a, that's a great point because people may not know, you know, after a break, maybe somebody just, just tuned in and you do that update thing, you know? Exactly. And I don't know if you do that because I don't, I don't, I, I don't. don't. Follows closely, but I'm uh, I don't either. <laughs> That's why it's kind of like I got to do a scene reset with with everything. So. Interesting, a scene reset. I like that. And I tell you why quickly. It's because I realize in radio it's very passive. So live radio can bring anybody. And I truly believe that power is in the podcast. When you're doing live, who knows who's truly listening? And who knows? Oh my gosh! You just reminded me of a story. Okay. And I was at the radio station, and it's too long of a story to get into, but it, it, it's just exactly what you're talking about. The person actually came into the station. They were getting ready to get a divorce. They didn't get a divorce. They heard the message of, of hope, and the gal canceled her appointment with her. Uh, she was heading to her divorce or divorce lawyer's office. Now, that is a, Mike and Joy. Those were the names. So Mike got to keep his joy. Get it? I, I, know, I know you got prep for today's show. I just want to check in with you for a bit. And uh, thanks for all doing this every morning. It's like a breath of fresh air every time we do this. So. Oh, and I'm also uh, finally going to set up a, uh, I got my wife's old fire tablet. And I think I might start doing some Facebook Live because of you, young man. Thank you, thank you. And by the way, I hope. I hope in your 9 a.m. hour with Radio Hope, it's not like a depressing hour of suicide. Because you always bring some sort of positivity, such a dark topic. So I, I'm looking forward to hearing you do that today. And that's the key. I think that's why I do always try to bring things back to some kind of some some humor. Yeah. It, it's... Well, and that's how, you know, I'm a 90s kid. So that's how we got ourselves in the 90s, with sarcasm. And we grew up <laughs> I watch reruns of Friends, and I realize now why this generation is so sarcastic. Every Friends show was quite sarcastic, actually. Which show? Friends. Friends. Yeah. yeah. That was a very popular show. I never watched it. Oh, it was but... a. You had a killer Thursday night for NBC. You had Friends, Seinfeld, uh, and then of course ER later. But I mean, all of it—they were on the run. And huh. I hate to sound like a boomer, you know, but. We don't get those kind of shows anymore. Like, those days were then, you know, that type of thing. So. Huh, interesting. Anyway, okay. Michael, I will talk to you tomorrow morning, hopefully earlier. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. You got it. Love you, brother. Be well. You too. Bye. I'm Alex Garrett. We'll talk to you soon.